You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ask Concussion Doc, episode number 108. This episode is titled, Why Am I So Fatigued? This is insights into neurofatigue after concussion. Neurofatigue after concussion and after actually any neurological uh, injury, disease, disorder uh, is actually quite common. And as you'll see, it's, it's common in a, in a number of other more systemic and inflammatory conditions as well. And we'll talk about some things like post-inflammatory brain syndrome. So let's talk about the prevalence of neurofatigue following concussion. One of the most prevalent and common symptoms that people describe when they're going through their concussion is neurofatigue or just general fatigue. Concussion, in the acute stages of concussion injury, we pulled all of our data from Complete Concussion Management, which is, I think, probably one of the largest concussion databases in the world. And within the first 10-day window, about 70% of concussion patients report fatigue as one of their symptoms. When you get into post-concussion syndrome or anything beyond 30 days after injury, for those that are still symptomatic, 82% of concussion patients report fatigue after their injury. So very, very, very prevalent in the concussion and PCS world. Also very common in other neurological disorders. Multiple sclerosis, 35% of patients with MS report neurofatigue or fatigue is one of their main symptoms. Uh, Parkinson's disease, between 30 and 60% of Parkinson's patients report fatigue and stroke patients. So similar, probably the most similar one I've said to brain injury of 36 to 77% of patients following stroke reporting fatigue as one of their main symptoms. Um, Fatigue is also common in other more systemic diseases, like I said, like heart disease, cancer, inflammatory conditions like arthritis. And there's a reason for this because one of the main causes of systemic ongoing fatigue and neurofatigue is actually chronic inflammation. So uh, it's one of the treatments as well. If you can treat that, then um, it's one of the cornerstones. And so today I'm going to give you an outline of the main causes of neurofatigue. And I'm also going to provide you with some things that you can do about it to actually create change and get rid of this. So why does it happen? Why do we have fatigue after after concussion injuries? We don't really have a strong understanding of the mechanisms of fatigue and why some people are more impacted than others, but it's likely to be a very multifactorial system. It is, there is evidence of physical factors, mental factors, emotional factors that all combine in with one another and play off of each other. Patients will often ask me, hey, how do I get rid of this neuro fatigue? As if there's going to be one simple answer that if you were to just do this, it would get rid of it. And unfortunately, for the most part, that's not actually how it works unless there is some you know, underlying hormonal deficiency or something like that that you can um, you know, easily treat um, or in some cases easily treat, I should say. But the 
the same way that you would treat everything with concussion, if we think about concussion as being and concussion treatment as never being, oh, I'm going to treat this one element of my concussion, rather than that, I'm going to treat the entire person, the entire system and how it works as a whole, that's the same treatment for fatigue. So anyone who asks me, oh, I have tinnitus, how can I get rid of my tinnitus? My answer is always gonna be the same. No matter what your symptom is, you have to kind of treat everything as a comprehensive system because they all play off of each other. With concussion, it's very multi-system, very multifactorial. You're never gonna find one specific cause that if you were to just do this one thing, it would get rid of you know everything. Uh, and that's an important thing to understand. And we'll talk about the concussion recovery pyramid um, as we get down to the end. So. This is my mission with all of the podcasts that I do with complete concussion management and training clinicians with the concussion fix program, which is educating concussion patients on how to manage their own symptoms and to get better. My main thing that I'm always trying to get across to people is that you ha it doesn't work that way. You can't just treat one thing. You have to look at this from a, from a comprehensive system. And so that's what I'm going to do. It is very simple. Okay, concussion treatment is actually very simple. It's not easy, but the process and the idea behind it is quite simple once you can understand all of the factors that play into it. And so that's something to understand. So why am I so tired? Here are the main ones. I'm sure there's more that I have missed, but here are the main ones that I came up with. Number one, increased brain activity, okay? Number two, and I'm gonna go into each one of these after, so don't worry. Increased brain activity is number one. Number two is stress and anxiety and sympathetic overdrive, which kind of all meshes in together. Deconditioning and poor metabolic health, more of a systemic one. Chronic inflammation and endocrine issues, and you'll see that there's a lot of overlap between even these that I'm, I'm saying right now. Chronic inflammation and endocrine issues. Number five, poor sleep quality and bad sleep habits. Number six, depression. And number seven, medications. Various medications can actually cause fatigue as one of their side effects. And so this is one of those ones that if you take a look at your medication and fatigue is one of the side effects, that may be contributing to the issue that you have. And there may be nothing you can do about it if there's no way to get off that medication or by working with your doctor to maybe reduce your dose or try to find a different treatment uh, modality for the issue that you are suffering, then potentially that could be helpful in your fatigue. So you have to look at fatigue as a very comprehensive multifactorial system. So let's talk about each one of these specific ones that I just mentioned. So let's talk first about increased brain activity. And what I am not saying here is that you need to rest more. All right, this is where people get, I think, a little bit conflicted and confused in the whole concussion treatment factor. A lot of clinicians just tell patients that the treatment for concussion is to rest. Oh, you need to rest your brain, you need to rest your brain, you need to rest your brain. But what that does over time is it actually deconditions your systems. So what I mean by increased brain activity is not the fact that you're having too much stimulation, although in a way, it kind of does. And so I'm gonna explain this right here. So. This is something that is termed default mode interference. So the default mode network is one of the main networks of your brain. You have these, well, you have three main brain networks and I'll, I'll talk about them here. So the default mode network is, is kind of that sense of self, that internal dialogue, that voice inside your head. It's also known as your ego. It's you know kind of how you talk to yourself. It's that internal voice that's going on inside your head. And that's usually present and active when you're just kind of daydreaming, you know, thinking about a bunch of random things, your mind's you know spinning, going from one topic to the next, just not really having any type of train of thought 
that is the default mode network. That's your default setting. Your executive network is another branch of those brain networks, but your executive network is your task-oriented network. When you're trying to focus on a specific thing, uh, you're trying to do, you know, solve a problem or you're just in the zone. When people really get into it, your default mode network shuts off as your executive network kicks up. At least that's how it's supposed to work. So when you get really focused on something, your, your default mode network, your internal dialogue shuts off and you're completely present in the task at hand. Some people would call this flow state. So if you are you know, a performance-driven person and you're just in the zone, you're getting things done, you're not even being distracted by your own thoughts, you're just boom, 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 that is your executive network at work. Normally, like I said, these two networks are on a teeter-totter. Default mode network is on, executive network is off. Executive network is on, default mode network is off. There's also a network called the salience network which allows you to switch between the two back and forth. So. In concussion patients, and there's been fMRI studies that will look at various brain activation patterns, and they find that patients with persistent concussion symptoms are not able to shut off the default mode network. So when, you're, when they're trying to study somebody doing a particular task, they are unable to shut off the default mode, which means that they're, they're working two brain networks simultaneously. So this creates two problems. Number one, Cognitively, concussion patients don't perform as well because they're, they're being distracted by their own internal dialogue rather than being completely in that flow state. And number two, they're burning twice as much energy because both networks are active. So now because of that, you have increased neural activation to try and get the same amount of work done. So it takes you twice as much brain power to accomplish the same task. And not only that, your performance on that task is usually less than, um, than you know, either pre-injury or compared to normal healthy control people. Now I'm showing two papers here on my screen, you guys can't see it that are watching live, but those of you on YouTube will be able to see it. Um, so this, this one here, they're both from the same author, but they studied this on fMRI. And there's a quote here at the end of this one paper that says, regarding network function, uh, those with absent symptoms showed stronger deactivation of the default mode network compared to those that had ongoing persistent concussion symptoms. So the big thing was the ability to deactivate the default mode network when you were trying to focus on a particular task. At the end, they talk about how there was there was very little difference between those that had symptoms and, and non-concussed patients on some of this stuff. And they said, this outlines the idea for non-injury related factors to be playing a role in this because the other issue that comes into um, this picture is that we find the same thing, the same inability to shut off the default mode network in patients with chronic stress and patients with anxiety disorders. Okay, If you think about anxiety, just the picture of somebody who is super anxious, they're ruminating and thinking thoughts. So whenever they're trying to focus on a particular thing or you're trying to talk to them about a particular thing, their, their default mode network is still spinning with all of that internal dialogue, thinking of all of these thoughts and all of these potential scenarios and all of these things, whereas they can't focus on the task at hand. So we find this same thing in people with long-term stress and patients with anxiety disorders. All right, so burning multiple streams of energy because both networks are active, unable to focus on cognitive tasks. And this brings me to point number two then, which is stress, anxiety, and 
overactivation of your sympathetic nervous system. So not only can stress and anxiety lead to increased activation of the default mode network and the inability to shut it off when you are working on a task, but if you think about your autonomic nervous system, okay, your autonomic nervous system is um, the things you don't have to think about, right? It's things like your heart rate and your digestion and all of these other processes that just happen without you having to do anything about it. You have two sides to your sympathetic nervous system. You have your sympathetic, which is your fight, flight, or freeze, right? This is the, oh my God, a bear is chasing me. Adrenaline gets pumping. My nervous system gets active. My pupils dilate. I'm ready for action. So that's your sympathetic system. Your parasympathetic system is your rest and digest, your calm nervous system. These are on a teeter-totter. So as parasympathetic activity goes up, sympathetic activity should drop and vice versa. Sympathetic activity goes up. We don't care about digestion. We care about outrunning the bear, right? So that's the difference between those two systems and they work as a complete teeter-totter to one another. If you wanna bring down sympathetic, you can do that by increasing parasympathetic. And there's certain things you can do to increase parasympathetic activity, and those are, I mean, beyond the scope of what I'm gonna talk about in this one, but I've talked about it in other podcast episodes before. So if you think about the sympathetic activity as being your fight, flight, you know, um, that is kind of your anxiety and your stress response. Now, in a concussion patient, We've seen this time and time again that their sympathetic nervous system, they tend to have a high sympathetic tone and very low parasympathetic tone. This creates sleep difficulties. This creates increased anxiety. This creates nervous system hypersensitivity where you're completely on edge. If you think about this type of, this type of individual who's going through this particular situation, high sympathetic drive, everything is a perceived threat to your system. Right? And this even incorporates things like physical symptoms, even things like chronic dizziness. It makes your nervous system on edge because everything is seen as a potential threat. And even though you may not be consciously thinking about it, the response in your physiology is the same. So you have this sympathetic overdrive, which is going to um, you know, keep things out of whack. It's going to make your nervous system heightened, and that is very exhausting. Your nervous system constantly being in this heightened state is very taxing. So you're going to burn your tank out quicker than somebody who is in a more parasympathetic, restful state whose nervous system doesn't perceive a bear around every corner. Okay. Now this kind of leads into the idea now behind fear avoidance. Now fear avoidance is, is not necessarily on this same topic, but those that have this heightened state that they're in, this constant like, you know, this constant perceived threat are going to do things to avoid the, any type of stimulation. So for example, even light and noise sensitivity, if that's too stimulating for your nervous system, you're gonna do things to avoid that, right? It just, it's a natural thing, but it actually creates worsened outcome. So for those of you that follow me on social media, I posted a story yesterday with this quote. So I'm just going to read it right now just to kind of characterize this. Fear avoidance is a coping style characterized by the avoidance of activities or situations that are perceived to provoke or worsen symptoms due to fear of the symptoms and their associated consequences. It is well established that fear avoidance contributes to the development of chronic pain following musculoskeletal injuries. Following injury, persistent avoidance of activities perceived to worsen pain leads to muscle disuse, which perpetuates pain and reinforces avoidance behavior. This maladaptive coping style is a robust risk factor for disability in patients with chronic pain, but, is import but importantly is modifiable with targeted psychological treatment. The fear avoidance model has been applied to a variety of other chronic health conditions, such as chronic fatigue, 
and fibromyalgia. There's also a large body of evidence to suggest that the fear of falling in older adults leads to limiting behavior and poor quality of life. Fear avoidance behavior also appears relevant for symptom chronicity after concussion. Following concussion, sensory stimuli like loud noises and bright lights and physical or mental exertion tend to bring on or worsen post-concussion symptoms, which fatigue is included. Uh, Activity-related symptom exacerbations can be aversive and distressing, thus reinforcing avoidance behavior. Over time, excessive avoidance of activities or situations that provoke symptoms may sensitize individuals to these triggers such that when symptom triggers are encountered, symptoms are more easily provoked. Fear avoidance after MTBI is associated with higher post-concussion symptoms, emotional distress, and catastrophic beliefs about post-concussion symptoms. Patients with concussion who have high fear avoidance in the weeks following injury are more likely to experience adverse health outcomes such as anxiety disorders and disability months later. So this happens if you have this increased fear response, this increased stress response, anything that provokes that. So if you have fatigue, for example, if this is your symptom, if you think if I do too much, I'm going to have extreme fatigue and this is going to set me back, what you'll do is avoid activity. Okay. And this will lead into my future ones, which is this number three, deconditioning and poor metabolic health. So cognitive, this can be cognitive and physical deconditioning. So as you pull back, as you avoid activities because you're afraid to do things, afraid to push yourself to do things that may provoke symptoms, you actually pull back. And what this leads to is increased sensitization. If you avoid lights, for example, because you're perceiving that lights are making you worse, guess what? You are going to become more sensitive to lights over time. If you perceive doing too much activity, to provoke your symptoms and to be something to be avoided, guess what? You're going to pull back, which is going to create more deconditioning. Your line, and this is how I always describe this, is you have a line, let's say, that once you get up to that line, if you go too far beyond that line, you will have a setback. So what you start to do is you start to go, well, here's my line. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go to that line. I know my line is somewhere here. I'm not really quite sure where it is, but I don't wanna challenge that line. So what you do is you pull back from that line. As you pull back, what happens is that line just gets gradually closer and closer to you, where people even going up a flight of stairs are completely winded and out of breath because they've completely deconditioned their bodies and their minds that everything is taxing. So when you think about something like fatigue, um, lack of exercise, um, your uh, concussion, for example, is a metabolic injury. It affects how our brain produces and uses energy inside the brain. Okay. Now, if we are in poor metabolic health already, meaning we're not efficient at utilizing and making and creating and utilizing energy, then this injury is going to create a lot of problems for us. So the healthier you are when the injury happens, the better off it be in the, in the long run. But also, if you have a metabolic injury, an injury that damages how your brain cells produce, use energy, and you decide to pull back from all activity, guess what? You're going to actually contribute to the reduction in, in the efficiency of your metabolism. So exercise, actually doing cognitive activity, um, you know, paying attention to diet uh, and, and, and reducing inflammation and that type of stuff will all contribute to having better metabolic health. So what should we do? 
we should probably be exercising. We should probably be doing cognitive activity. We should probably be pushing that line a little bit more in order to um, prevent deconditioning from happening. Because as we pull back, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse, okay? So the strategy behind pulling back is obvious because you're, you're avoiding, right? That's that fear avoidant behavior. This is short-term gain because you feel better as you avoid, but it's actually long-term loss. Number four, chronic inflammation and endocrine issues. So inflammation and hormone balances both have been shown to occur after concussion and both have been associated with energy deficits and fatigue. So inflammation and inflammatory markers inside the brain are correlated with fatigue. So high levels of various inflammatory compounds found in the brain. There's also uh, a condition called post-inflammatory brain syndrome where even systemic inflammation within your body following things like uh, cervical procedures um, and various injuries to your musculoskeletal system, arthritis, inflammatory things within your body can cause fatigue, can cause fogginess, can cause cognitive deficits, can cause all of these issues that seem a lot like concussion issues, right? I have poor mental clarity, I'm not following things, I'm very fatigued and drained and all of these other things. This can happen from systemic fatigue or systemic inflammation happening elsewhere in the body, not even in the brain. So if you have a brain injury, you have this inflammatory process that starts. That inflammation can cause all of these same types of symptoms, fogginess, sluggishness, cognitive issues, fatigue, all of that stuff. So the treatment for this, diet, sleep, improving gut health, exercise. All right. The other side of this that I talked about is hormone imbalances. There's a variety of hormones, obviously, that contribute to energy and metabolism. And um, one easy way or one simple thing you can do up front is to get your hormone levels checked to see if there's any imbalances happening. Moving on to number five is sleep. Concussions disrupt sleep. Concussion creates what's called an exo exotoxic or excitotoxic environment, which affects sleep by suppressing circadian rhythms, uh, suppressing melatonin production, um, and affecting circadian rhythms, I should say. Um, there's an increase in, in sleep disorders following concussion, higher prevalence of sleep apnea. So sleep quality really suffers after a concussion injury. And if patients aren't doing the right things to try and get your sleep quality back on track, then you can end up with a lot of issues. So particularly deep sleep is how we clear a lot of inflammation that's happening throughout the day. So as you go through the day, you get this buildup of these inflammatory compounds and as you sleep, you kind of clear them. If you're not getting into that deep sleep and your sleep quality, not just quantity, because a lot of patients I talk to say, well, I don't know, I get seven, eight hours every night. That's not the same. It's this, it's the quality of that sleep. Are you actually getting all of, are you cycling through your sleep waves correctly? Are, do you have apnea? Do you have any other sleep disorders that are actually affecting the quality of your sleep? You may think that you've had eight hours, but in fact, you've had eight hours of disrupted sleep or eight hours of, you know, slow or uh, not slow wave sleep. You haven't been able to get into your slow wave sleep. So not just the quantity, but the quality of that. Uh, number six is depression. Depression, uh, low mood is associated with fatigue and fatigue is associated with low mood. They go hand in hand. So some studies have shown that even having antidepressant medications sometimes can improve fatigue. So there's evidence also that psychological interventions like cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness-based stress reduction techniques, uh, exercise, socializing, doing things for your mental health decreases your fatigue. So these are all things that we incorporate with all of our concussion patients as well to try and improve mood. Having a low mood equals having low energy 
and that could be something that is contributing. And finally, number seven is medications. A lot of the medications that patients are prescribed after concussion injury can contribute to fatigue. Some of them are, are also prescribed to combat fatigue, so that's another thing to consider. But take a look at your medications and try to see if there's any, you know, if the side effects listed on there include fatigue. That's just something you can do as a starting point. Now, so now that we've talked about kind of the main causes of fatigue, like I said, it's not a one picture, like what causes fatigue. It's a whole story and they're all intertwined with each other. It's physical, it's mental, it's emotional, and they all tie in together and feed off one another. So how can I treat it? So the first thing I'm going to say, just as a general rule, is you're going to need balance. You're going to need to push yourself, but not too much. And there's that fine balance of doing it. If you go too hard, too quickly, you can kind of burn yourself out. You'll hit that wall. You'll create kind of some of these imbalances. You'll create this stress response. You'll create this high sympathetic drive. Okay, so you need to do things in a gradual and balanced way. A lot of concussion patients will go full bore 100% and, and hit that wall. And other concussion patients will do the opposite. And they just won't do enough. They'll pull back, they'll be so afraid of where that line is that they won't even want to get close to it and put their toe on it. They want to stay well back of it, okay? So going way over it is harmful, but sticking back from it is harmful too. What you want to do is find out where that line is and you want to get right to it as much as you can and then every once in a while you challenge that line and you go over it to try and see if the line is moved, right? If you move the line a little bit, then you'll know, right? It's the same thing with lifting weights or doing anything physical. If I, you know, go out and I start running and I run, you know, three kilometers and I'm like, okay, three kilometers is good. I don't think I could do any more. And I just keep running three kilometers for the rest of my life. Am I ever going to get to a point where I can run a marathon? No. Eventually I'm going to have to go, okay, I'm going to try four now. I'm going to try five. I'm going to try six. And I'm going to gradually challenge myself to try and add more distance. If I'm lifting weights, same thing. It's like if I'm just going to lift 135 pounds, you know, which is a plate on each side, and I'm just going to do that forever, am I ever going to be able to bench press 200 pounds? No. Eventually, I'm going to have to go, okay, 135, 140, 145, 150. I'm going to have to gradually add weight and get my body used to lifting that much weight. So it's the same type of thing with concussion. If I went in there and tried to bench press 200 pounds right away, I could hurt myself. Right? And that actually sets me back because now I have a tear I have to deal with. I have to heal from that. I'm weaker overall. It's, it's the same situation. Okay, So you have to find out what is, where's my limit right now and that's where I'm going to work at. And then next week, I'm going to add another five pounds on the plate to try and push myself a little bit beyond that, to try and extend it. So there's a points system floating around. Some of you may have come across you know, the Parkwood points system or there's this spoon thing. And I don't necessarily subscribe to that in full. I take elements of it, but it's it's usually because what concussion patients do is once they allocate their points, they just stay with those points. You know, I'm, I'm allowed to do these particular things, and what this is for people who don't know is that they assign each task some points, right? Like brushing your teeth is two points, and going to the store is, is 10 points, and so you're only allowed a certain number of points per day. And the idea is you plan your day based on the number of points that that's gonna take. What I would rather see done as patients actually increase the number of points they're allowing themselves on a weekly basis so you're actually moving the needle forward right so I I can use this in this way but I find a lot of concussion patients get on that system and they just stick there I'm comfortable at 20 points and I'm not gonna move from it because I'm scared of what happens if I go to 22 
right? But you have to go to 22 because you have to find out what happens because you might find out that 22 is okay. And then next week you can go to 24 and then, you know, keep going. So that's the idea. So don't avoid symptoms. Symptoms are okay. Don't be afraid of symptoms. Symptoms are okay. But just find out where your line is, right? Do a little bit and then build up and build up and build up and build up. And once you find that line, you're like, okay, that's probably enough for me right now. Stay there for the next week or two, then challenge it. And then now that might become your new normal. And then now you work there and then you go, it's the same thing. If everything concussion, it's always the same. So the first steps, if you have fatigue is to rule out the pathology. Okay. That might be there. So things like heart disease, diabetes, metabolic diseases, hormone issues, iron deficiency, whatever things you're going to likely need some blood work and some other things just to rule out any kind of pathological causes that might be there. Then also you're going to be looking at your medications that you're taking and say, do any of these contribute to fatigue? Does any of these have fatigue as a side effect? If everything comes back normal, then you're probably looking more at this comprehensive picture. You're looking at a comprehensive change in your lifestyle. Okay. You're not just going to do one thing that's going to improve your fatigue. You're going to need to do a lot of things to change how you tackle each day. Okay. So, and these, these things, these changes, they're the same for every single concussion symptom that somebody might have, right? If you have fatigue, it's the same thing. If you have headaches, it's the same thing. If you have you know, sleep difficulties, it's the same thing. The treatment for concussion, like I said, is simple. It's not easy, but it's a simple in terms of concept, okay? Many concussion patients spend their time looking for the next, you know, kind of hole-in-one treatment that I can do. Oh, I heard laser therapy is good. I'm going to do laser therapy. Oh, I heard hyperbaric is good. I'm going to do hyperbaric. Oh, I've heard this is good. None of these passive treatment modalities are good at all. There's no evidence to show that they're effective. And in fact, in some cases, like things like hyperbaric has been shown to be not effective, no better than placebo. So the, none of this stuff works. Okay. So if you just get your mind around the fact that none of these passive treatment modalities, no one, you're never going to go to somebody and they're just going to fix you. You're going to have to do some work. And if you don't get your mind around the fact that you're going to have to do the work, uh, there's no a easy way out of this. Okay. Just like if you wanted to lose weight, you got to exercise, right? Um, okay. So once you've ruled out the bad stuff, here are the treatments for you. And I'm going to do these in order. Okay. We've created something with our concussion fix program called the concussion recovery pyramid. And it's all about building the foundational elements first. All right. A lot of people go right to the tip of the pyramid, which is kind of the rehab, more of some of the passive modalities. They try to go right there first. And unfortunately it just doesn't work unless you build this foundation. So foundation element number one is work on mindset and your mood. Like I said, depression, is associated with fatigue, anxiety, stress causes in this imbalance and default mode interference, right? So you're using both brain networks. So you need to find ways to reduce your anxiety, reduce the activation of your default mode network, become more present in what you're doing. Um, you know, mindfulness, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, socialization, building relationships, um, finding a purpose, something to do where you can get into that flow state. If all you do all day is, is nothing and you sit around and think about your symptoms and that's just going to keep it festering in your mind, you need to do something with your time that gets you focused on what you're doing so that you're not focusing internally on your internal dialogue so that you can shut off that default mode interference, okay? 
So that's number one, working on mindset and mood, reducing stress, anxiety. So these are things, exercise, sleep, diet, mindfulness, CBT, socialization, relationships, finding a purpose, positive thinking, etc. Okay, and you're gonna see a, uh, a little bit of a trend here. Number two, reduce inflammation and improve metabolic health. Okay, reducing inflammation usually comes down to diet, sleep, regular exercise, and reducing stress. So all of the same things I talked about in number one are also working to reduce inflammation and improve your overall metabolic health. Number three, get reconditioned gradually. Okay, it's going to take time. A lot of patients will say, I used to be able to do X, so I'm just gonna go and do X. It doesn't work that way because if you've been sitting back here doing nothing for six months and you try to go and do what you used to do or what you think you should be able to do, you are going to have a tough go of it, okay? So it takes time to build this up. So you have to start very, 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 very small, okay? After COVID is over and I'm allowed to go back to the gym again, I don't even want to know what my bench press is going to be. I don't even want to know what I'm going to be able to squat because I'm just, I've been doing body weight type stuff, but it's not the same as actually loading up a bar and doing the work. So I know that I can't just go back in and be like, well, I used to do this and so I'm just going to load it up. I'm going to hurt myself. And it's the same thing with concussion patients. Okay. If you used to do all of these things, you used to be a multitasker. That's great. But don't try to do all that now. Okay, sit back and just get focused on doing one thing, right? I'm gonna work for half an hour, that's it. Then I'm gonna take a break. Then I'm gonna work for another half an hour. Then I'm gonna take a break. Start small, build up from there, okay? Take breaks as needed, learn where your line is and challenge it every week. You have to challenge it. Sitting back here in the comfort zone is never going to help you. Yes, you may be comfortable right now, but guess what? You're never getting beyond that. You're never gonna get back to where you were if you're gonna sit back here and wait for somebody to come along and fix you. It's not how it works. You have to fix you. That's the only way, okay? Be mindful of fear avoidant behavior, okay? It keeps the problem around. Anything you do to, you know, what you, uh, what is it? it? What you resist persists. Uh, that's kind of a, 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 a bit of a saying. So you have to go out and do things in order to, you know, push that boundary. So anything you're avoiding, it will just get worse over time. So be very mindful of that. Work with a cognitive behavioral therapist or some sort of mental health professional to help you get over that fear avoidant behavior because it is actually killing you slowly. And then finally, number four, work on reducing your physical symptoms. Like I said, things like dizziness, headaches, all of these things keep you in this fight or flight mode, which is going to contribute to fatigue. You can only be dizzy for so long, okay? But don't start there right? Start with building the foundation. So our concussion recovery pyramid, the bottom rung, the foundation is mindset, nervous system, hyperarousal, how, how to deal with setbacks, um, how to deal with stress and, and how to reduce stress. The second rung is inflammation, gut health, sleep, hormone regulation, blood flow, which is exercise, diet, and nutrition, okay? Then finally at the very tip is now you getting getting into rehab. So you have to build that foundation for it to have an effective outcome. So if you've been working on vestibular rehab and it's not getting better, and if you've been doing this and that and it's not getting better, chances are you haven't built your proper foundation. So I think that's the important thing here. So like anything with concussion, what is going to reduce your fatigue? It's taking this comprehensive approach. It's taking It's treating the whole person and not just the main symptom of fatigue, right? If you're gonna to go to a doctor, they're gonna give you some sort of medication for the fatigue specifically, but guess what? That's gonna come with a million side effects that are gonna cause increased dizziness and all hyperarousal and all these crazy jittery things. And so you wanna be very careful. Medication is an option, but I wouldn't do that first. I would build my pyramid first 
And then if at the end you are still having issues, then I would, I would maybe look the medication route, but definitely not the first line of defense. So that's it for my presentation. For those of you watching on Instagram Live, I'll stick around and answer some questions. For those of you guys watching on YouTube, thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe and like and all of that fun stuff. Share it with your friends and uh, I'll see you next week. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.